This Torah class is brought to you by TorahAnytime.com. Uh, we're our, our subject today. I think I recall it was understanding your your spouse. Uh, good luck with that. <laughs> um, they put me over here, so you're welcome. To, anyone who wants to slide over a little, uh, if you want to slide over, you can. Uh, I was kind of placed more to the side here. Okay, here we go. Uh, it mentioned kids too, didn't it? Uh, yeah. Siblings? <laughs> Parents? <laughs> Yourself? <laughs> okay, very good. Um, first of all, everyone, welcome to the Shabbos Kevtoni. It's uh, really exciting to have you here. Uh, raise your hand if it's uh, first time you're at the Shabbos Kevtoni Shabbaton. Wow. So, oh, she's on the phone. Um, so it's really a, a treat. You are going to have such a Shabbos like you've never had. I mean, unless you've been to these kinds of things. But, the, but what happened was because of the, the, the Frum Oilam, the Hamish Oilam, the Chassidish Oilam, they've never had a chance to have uh, their own kind of Shabbaton experience. What's up? Too loud? I don't need a Bechlal. Yeah, no, I got it right here. I'm good. Well, you can hear it over there. <laughs> anyway, hi, Matthew. So, um, anyway, the it's an awesome opportunity. It's something that hasn't really existed in the in the Hamish world, in the Hasidic world, where you can go with a bunch of people. You leave your kids somewhere, put a, you know, spread your kids out, and uh, and come and just grow. But what happened was, uh, and due to a lot of graduates of uh, my seminar, actually, the, the seminar I run, the Possible Youth Seminar, there's a lot of graduates who are this, your staff. So the people who created this thing are all graduates of this, the work that I train people in, where I'll be a Sunday. I'm, I've got a new group uh, in Toronto. I'm flying out Sunday morning to Toronto, and I'll be working there for the week. And three weeks from now, I'll be in Mexico City. And after that, I'll be in Yerushalayim. Uh, running these programs, but what happened was it became a very clear need for personal development, that we got to develop ourselves from within. So much of our life, so much of our society is very chitzayni based. And of course, the, the panemias, that's up to every individual. So however much panemias you're going to have in your davening or in your, in your reading of Tehillim or in your, in your Talmud Torah, however much is going to be in your panemias in your relationship with your spouse, with your kids, with your, with your parents, with yourself. You know, that's up to you. But the thing is, is in these days, in 2016, if you're left to your own devices, if it's, only, if it's left up to you, that your panemius should be a healthy panemius, that your internal world should be something healthy, if you're going to leave that up to you in 2016 with our busyness and our phones buzzing away and our and uh, the, every kind of stress that comes in and every kind of responsibility that we're all dealing with, you'll never get to your panemius. You'll just never get there. We've got so much that's chasing after us all the time in every kind of uh, aspect of our lives, you'll never get to the inner world where you really live. Because inside, that's where you live. You really live inside yourself. And so it became very clear that there's a need for the guidance on the panemius level, that we all need to have healthy internals. We have to have 
well-being. It's called well-being. That I have to be well inside. I need to have well-being. And so they created this Shabbaton, the Kavtoni Shabbaton, that people will come and get rid of all distractions. There are no distractions. You're not going to be walking to places. You're going to be, you're not going to have your kids with you. You're not going to have your parents with you. You're not going to have, you're just going to be focused for, I don't even know how many hours, uh, 2 o'clock today till 2 o'clock tomorrow is 24 till noon. It's almost 48 hours. No, no, no. Uh, They asked me not to speak on it because they could hear it next door. Yeah. Can you hear me back there okay? And one thing you can do, because it's nice and cold in here already, is, uh, is turn off the AC. Yeah. yeah. Turn off the air conditioning, that'd be great. Then, then you know, everyone will hear it perfectly. It might not go off, but hopefully it will. So that's what we're doing. We're spending uh, 48 hours together just to work on our own inner world, our inner health. And I'll be doing a shir, Be'ezras Hashem, I think it's tonight or maybe it's Shabbos Day, called Doing and Being, and that will be all about that inner panemius work. Uh, Do you see my Doing and Being? Is it maybe Shabbos Day? Or no, maybe Motzi Shabbos. No, no, it's not Motzi Shabbos. I don't know where it is exactly. Um, Shabbos day. What time? Twelve thirty. So twelve thirty after Kiddush. So after Kiddush tomorrow, I'll be doing a class all about the panemius well-being of a person, which is called the being. The class is called doing and being because we spend so much time doing. What about the being? And it'll be a whole class on the on the being, which is my main focus in my work. Okay, um, so let's get to understanding things. There's certain things that we just miss altogether in understanding ourselves and understanding others. So one of them, I'll just give you a real obvious one, is to understand our interactions with our spouses with our, in our marriage. It happens that when people are feeling insecure, so they make certain moves. When a husband's feeling insecure, he makes certain moves. When a woman's feeling insecure, she makes certain moves. But the problem is, we don't understand the moves they're making when they're feeling insecure. So what happens is oftentimes we wind up doing exactly the wrong thing at a time they're needing support. We wind up reacting in the wrong, in the wrong ways. So there could be a time we're feeling a little insecure and we will act out as men in a certain way in the relationship. And our and our wife will actually feel more insecure because of our insecurity. And, and then just, you know, that messes it up. Because what we're looking for is maybe a little more support, but instead we're sending her on a tailspin. Also, the wife and the, uh, will do the same thing. When she's feeling insecure, she will relate to us in certain ways. So what I'd like to do is just discuss a dynamic of how women and men are when someone's feeling insecure. So we're going to do, we'll start with the women, and that is when a woman's feeling insecure. What's going on back there? Oh, the door's broken? And they want to fix it now? Yeah, maybe I'll bring the mic back in for that. 
I can turn it down a little, so, so it's not so much. <laughs> but he unplugged it. <laughs> it was that bad, I guess, in the other room he had to unplug it. Hey, oh, test, 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 test. Helps when the when the speaker is actually a a sound man. Yeah. Okay, I'll use a little mic here. Test, test, test. Okay. When a when a woman's feeling insecure, and that can happen, uh, that can happen. You know, regularly, it can happen irregularly, it can happen anytime, but whenever a woman's feeling insecure, what happens is she's looking for something solid to hold on to. Because at that, when a woman's feeling insecure, when one's wife's feeling insecure, she feels like she's like in a river going towards a waterfall. And everything's just scary and black. And the, uh, so what happens is they're looking for something solid to hold on to just like anyone. If you were stuck in a river, you fell into a river, now you're going down, you're looking for just a tree branch, something to hold on to. Now, here's the tricky part, and this is what you have to understand, that what they would like to hold on to more than anything else is they'd like to hold on to their husband. That their husband should be who they hold on to. Now, a woman who's, who's like really on top of herself, like really gets it, she would say, honey, I'm feeling like I need a little extra support right now. I need you more right now. And you know, do you mind putting off that phone call or do you mind putting off the, whatever you're doing right now? Because I really need you. That would be the ideal. But none of you women do that. I'll tell you what you do instead. You attack, okay? You attack your husband at that point. Usually verbally, um, hopefully only verbally. But at that point, there's a, do you mind shutting this door? I'm like hearing the workers here. This is the hall to the, I don't even know what. Uh, sorry. Thank you very much. So at that point, you attack. Now, what that's called in the, in the world, and especially in the animal kingdom, is called fitness testing. Fitness testing is what animals do, where the female fitness tests the males, and, uh, and whichever male is the most fit wins. And that becomes the male of that group of lions or whatever it is. It's, this goes on in the whole animal kingdom, is fitness testing. But what happens with a woman in marriage is, is when she attacks the husband, she's just fitness testing her husband. But the husband doesn't know that. All he knows is he just got attacked. Now, when a person gets attacked, now we're going to speak about something else totally, and then we'll come back. Okay? Everyone hold that thought? Split screen. Okay, that's it. New thought. Whenever you're under attack in any way, if you're in a, if, and what do I mean by under attack? I don't mean literally. I mean, it could be a, a feeling financial pressures. It could be that you have a, it could be you have a job interview that's kind of attacking your emotional state. Um, it could be a, a parent-teacher meeting or, of course, the minha hell. Okay, that's the person who seems to always be from hell. The minha hell wants to speak to you. And the, the, Whenever you're in a situation where, where you have uh, just something in life that's coming at you, like a lion, what happens is you get fear. You feel fear. You feel afraid. And when we feel afraid, when human beings feel afraid, feel afraid, they freeze. The first thing we do is we freeze like a deer in headlights on the Palisades Highway. Yeah, we freeze. 
And the next move is, well, most people, the next move is to flight, meaning we, we retreat, we escape in some way. And if we're not able to retreat, the next move we make is we flight. Did I just say flight? Sorry. We fight. And we'll fight. Good example is a little cat. If you wound up with a cat in your house, now I know that in America there are people with cats in their house, but I'm from Yerushalayim. Cats do not belong in your house. But every once in a while you left the window open, you left the screen open, and you were out for the day, and you come back, and there's a cat in your house. I mean, it's happened probably once in our entire existence there. But if you have a cat, now a cat, let's say a little cat versus you, who's going to win? You or the cat? <laughs> the, you. You're going to win. It's a little cat versus a big person. You're going to win. But that cat will do everything it can to get around you, get away, somehow get out of the house. And if, but if it can't, and it gets backed into a corner, even a kitten gets backed into a corner, they will arch their back and they will just go, and it will try to claw you, that cat. It will try to fight. So it tries to, if it can fight it well, otherwise it's going to fight. Now, in our lives, all kinds of stuff happens to us all the time. We get fears. Fears come up. There are five fears that come up mostly. They're the fear of uh, rejection, meaning what are people going to think of me? There's a fear. So, for example, that could be like a wedding reception or, or meeting the new mechotanim. It could be all kinds of things where my fear of rejection is coming up. And so I'm going to either fight and be like Miss... Mr. Social Interaction or, or, like the, or be real stoic and like kind of dominate them that way or maybe I'm going to suddenly catch a cold and now I'm not going to the wedding reception not, obviously not our own chasna but if we're going to be at a chasna where we're going to be nervous about the wedding reception so you know because of what people think of us maybe that's a perfect time to catch a cold or a headache headaches are very convenient for weddings anyway the, uh, but those are all flight. Sometimes you have no choice. You've got to go. So you're going to fight. You're going to dress a certain way. You're going to go in there and dominate. The fear of rejection, the fear of failure. Uh, they're still playing with that door back there. By the way, you guys in the back, there's no reason to sit by that door. I mean, that's ridiculous. And I'm up here, and it's, it's bothering me. Because we got the whole front of the room's empty. There's no reason to have, you know, this this guy back there making all that noise right in your ears. There's rejection. There's failure, and that has to do with our financial stuff. All kinds of stuff happens where fear comes up. And then there is the fear of being out of control, and that is, um, for example, having a parent or schwer who's pushing you around, who's always trying to control you. You know, that's, that's a very popular thing in the Hamish world. It's probably, I, I've, at this point, after all these years, I've come up with like the top five complaint list. <laughs> uh, one of the, it definitely hits the top five is being controlled by your schwer. Yeah, your schwer and your schwiger, controlling your life. By the way, if you're a schwer or you're a schwiger in here, I guess the eight says lay off. Yeah, <laughs> just lay off. You're not doing anyone a service here. Now, um, the, the next is, um, I'm not going to go through all the fears, but the point is we either, we either flight if we can, and if we can't, we're going to fight. 
Now, let's go back to a woman's feeling a little insecure. She's now fitness testing her husband, which means attacking. And and she's not attacking because she's against him or mad at him or anything. All she's trying to do is see if there's something solid here because she's feeling a little insecure. But the husband, he doesn't know that. All the husband knows is he just got attacked. And so the husband immediately says, I'm getting out of here. So what does he do? He goes for a three-hour mincha. He doesn't go for a three-hour mincha. And what's beautiful about a Hasidic shtibel is you can be in the coffee tea room for... That's, coffee tea room is a good hour and a half right there. You know, and the, it's my favorite place in a Hasidic shtibel. It's the coffee tea room. I'm a people person. So you can hour and a half easy in the coffee tea room. And then uh, and mincha itself, until you get over to mincha, could be some time. Anyway, but he's going to go for a three-hour mincha. Is that fight or flight? Flight. So she was feeling, you know, this is normal. She's feeling a little insecure. That's normal. It's fine to feel. We don't always feel so secure. And she, so she does her fitness test. She attacks. And he goes for the three-hour mincha or he goes to the bathroom for six hours or something. He disappears. And, and when, how's she feeling now? Secure or even more insecure? She feels even more insecure. And he now failed the fitness test. Yeah, and it's not like the animal kingdom where there's other lions. Okay, there's only one lion in this picture. So, so basically, he failed the fitness test, and that creates downward spirals in relationships. I can't tell you how many divorces I've had to deal with where I wasn't involved in that. I mean, I, came, I got to know them after a divorce. But how many times when, the, when I asked him to describe what was going on in his marriage, it was what I just described. But it just tailspun, and she just never could get feel secure. He was always attacked. Why does my wife always have to attack? Why does she always have to attack? Always have to attack. And then, and how many marriages fell apart over this dynamic? And it's wild. It's it, this is just the way the bria is. This is just the bria. It's just that people don't have the seichel to understand the interaction that's going on here. And then, for a man, a man for sure thinks. If she's attacking, you know, this is not exactly going to be a very, you know, it's not going to be, you know, being as careful with my words as possible in the Hamish world, but this isn't going to be a a night of intimacy here. And they they don't even realize that it's the exact opposite. It's the dafka opposite. It's just an absolute and pure misunderstanding of what's going on right now. But then it's fight. That was flight. What about fight? is that when a woman attacks, sometimes the husband sees he can't get out of it. She's going in, and he can't get out. And he already died in her. And he just got out of the bathroom. And, and, now she, and now she's going after him. And she's just cornered everywhere he turns. He, she's got him cornered. What's a man going to do then? He's going to fight. And here's where it gets scary, ladies. Because if that man has any shaykhist to Talmud Torah, like Gemara learning, you will lose. Okay? You're going to lose this fight. A man will make his wife wrong. And we all know it. Every man in this room knows you make your wife wrong. And when she, when she gets you, you will make sure she's wrong by the end of this conversation. Now, let's look at the map again. This is your wife feeling good. This is she's feeling a little insecure. She attacks. 
he doesn't know what's going on. He's like, why is she attacking me? He can't get out. He fights, makes her wrong. How's she feeling now? It's like, you know, there's no place low enough here to go. My arm's not long enough for this one. Really, really insecure. So what's the Eitzah here? What is the Eitzah? So the Eitzah is very simple. Whenever this dynamic comes up where a woman's feeling insecure and, and she, oh, by the way, ladies, you can't not do this. I mean, I know probably one in a hundred ladies could say, you know what, I'm feeling a little insecure. Maybe I should tell my husband I need a little extra support right now. There's probably one in a hundred ladies can do that. The other 99, they're going to fitness test their husbands. Fine. That's absolutely fine. But what you can control is you can catch yourself while you're fitness testing and lay off a bit, meaning slow it down, mellow it out. I'll give you one example. Um, one example is to control it is you never fitness test a husband at the, at the doorway, meaning the front door of the house. If your husband came home, be thankful, then he came home. And, but if he came home, you only give it to him after he's had something to eat. You never, ever bring up anything to a man until he's eaten. I said this recently in a seminar. It wasn't, uh, wasn't the Froom seminar. It was a, you know, some seminar I was doing a couple months ago. And one of the men yelled out. He said, a hungry man's an angry man. <laughs> like, where'd you get that quote? He's like, my grandfather used to say it. <laughs> a hungry man's an angry man. Anyway, but that's like, uh, that's like ABCs, that if your husband comes home, he even comes home late, he didn't even call, you know, and you're, you're upset. And let's say you really had a real reason to be upset. It's not, forget insecure, you're feeling fine. It's just that he just blew it. So it's okay to let him know, but give him something to eat first. Let him sit, let him be safe in his own home. Because if you give it to a man at the door who was supposed to be home at 6 and he came home at 8.30, tomorrow night he's going to be home at 9. Okay, you give it to him at the door, he's going to be home at 10. After a while, he's going to be calling you from Las Vegas. Okay, so you, you never give it to a man at the doorway. You always give him a chance to relax. And also, and amazingly, if you just give it that extra half hour till he's had a little something to eat, feels safe in his own home, because the world out there is not as safe as a home, is that you'll find better words. If you just give it a few minutes, you wait a little bit, you'll, have, you'll find the better words that will create less of a friction in the interaction. And also, as I said before, the question is not will you fitness test, the question is just how much you fitness test. And to be able to catch yourself and say, okay, maybe I should take it easy on him. For the men, when you're getting fitness tests, if your wife is going, at, going in on you and she's given that attack, so your job is to zip it. Just zip it and take deep breaths. Try not to let her notice that you're doing deep breathing. Okay? So just kind of like... And you're not patronizing. You're actually listening. And you listen really well. And when you're through listening, and do not interrupt, when you're through listening, ready for this? And by the way, she could have said some stuff that you absolutely disagree with. And she could have said some stuff that all it would take was one second to Google it to show her it was wrong. It's just absolutely wrong. Zip it. And when she's through speaking, your job now is just to 
review a few of the things she said, meaning reiterate a couple of her points, even though if you felt they were wrong, reiterate a couple of those points. That's it. That's all you have to do. And this, ha this happened to me uh, a couple months ago. I had not been that intensely attacked in a long time. And uh, so I, I wake up. I don't know what happened, but she really went after me. And I had um, been, to, I'd been to the mikvah. I'm now coming back to get my tefillin. I live next door to the mikvah in Yerushalayim. I'm coming back to get my tefillin. And there she is at the door. And I don't know what happened, but she just blasted me. So, she, so I'm sitting at the breakfast table, and, and I'm just getting blasted. I'm, what am I hearing? Because this is my minion every day. So I'm, I, all I hear in my head is... Uh, and I'm hearing and I'm hearing hallelujah and I'm hearing yishtabach and I'm just like I just want to hear baruchu at least you know like so I'm doing my own says now I'm hearing baruchu and eventually I repeated her points and I said if you don't mind I'm going to go down to shachers so I quickly ran to do shachers I caught up to the minion as best that I could. Now, when I came back to the house, all I wanted to do was drop my tefillin off and run. Yeah. So I'm like tiptoeing in the door. I open the door, she's not there. So I'm like tiptoeing in. I put my tefillin above the licht. We have a licht in the corner. I put my tefillin there. Tiptoeing in. Just as I put my tefillin up there, and I'm about to run out the door, my wife comes up. Hi, honey. And I'm like, honey? Yes? And she's like, how would you like fresh squeezed orange juice? And I'm like, fresh squeezed oranges? And how about an omelet? Spanish omelet? And I'm like, sure. And then she's just, I'm eating my omelet, drinking my fresh squeezed orange, and she's just sitting next to me, smiling away, like... They just want to know that we can stay strong in a moment of uh, that kind of uh, feeling that a woman's having. She just wants to know. As far as men are concerned, okay, you got chapter one? That was all chapter one. One A, one B, when a man's feeling insecure. So for the man, when he's feeling insecure, that's where he needs a chavruse, okay, a chavruse. And it's really important for men to have a confidant someone they speak to who is a very, very good friend that they can speak things to. There is a, a one in a hundred couples like it's okay to speak to the wife about these things but, but in general, even that couple, it's probably better that we speak to a, uh, one good friend that we trust. So, so for the men, it's much better that we uh, when we're feeling insecure, all we need is a good buddy to share the insecurities with, talk it out with, to be there for each other and uh, get that support. Um, we, men are interesting things because uh, we, we're the ones who had to transition. Uh, if you look at a little boy, he's really a little girl. I mean, they, they, you know, for example, I have a, a six-year-old. Uh, his name is Yisrael Noach. He's named after Rav Noach Weinberg, or Yisrael Noach Weinberg, Zatzal of Eshetar. He was my Rebbe. And... Um, but he's, he's really just a little girl. I mean, I know he has pace, but he, he's just a little... His voice is high. All he wants to do is get hugged. He wants to kiss you all over your face. And he wants to sleep in your bed. <laughs> it's a little girl. 
He's a boy, but he's a little girl. And what's going to have to happen at his bar mitzvah, and I just had another bar mitzvah with one of my boys who's still got the little voice of a girl, and he keeps wanting to hug me, and he's holding my hand on the way to Pins Carlin. You know, I got a boy, a full buffer, and a hat, and a coat, and then this becature. And when we're walking, there's certain areas we walk through where you don't really see anybody. He immediately puts his hand in my hand. He wants to walk to show, holding Tati's hand. He's a little girl. But during this year, he will be transitioning to manhood. Manhood. Men have to transition. And Baruch Hashem, in the, in the Frum Ha'ilim, we actually have a transition called Bar Mitzvah, and it's a big transition to, the, to a reckle and to a hat. It's the healthiest thing in the world. And you should know the rest of the world, the Western world, the Americans, the modern Orthodox, they don't have a transition. You know what happens? They never transition. And that's why you'll find, you can find a 45-year-old man right here in Connecticut who's going to play tennis five hours a day because he, he, he can't find the man. They never transition to manhood. Us men, we've transitioned. We've transitioned into men. But there's still a little boy in there. There's a little boy in there. And our wives can quickly pull that little boy out and make him a scared little boy. And for us as men, when that little boy is there, we have to have our fellow friends to speak to and to be able to have your little boy be present and to be able to um, speak things out so that when you get home, you can be that man for your wife and for your children. And so it's that important. It really is that important. And for the women is to know that your husband does need his time with his close confidants. I'd like to share another dynamic, and that's the dynamic of uh, escape versus rejuvenation. Every person needs an escape in life. Everyone needs uh, time in and time out. Time in is your life of responsibility, and time out is away from those responsibilities. Now, the, uh, a woman's life has a lot more time in than time out. Um, a man's life has, has uh, you know, everyone has a ratio of in and out, of how much time's in on the responsibilities and how much time's out. But us men, especially in the Frum Belt, we have, uh, we get much more built in, it's literally built in, that we get a lot of time out built into our lives. And the women don't have that kind of time built in so much. Um, it's a lot harder for them. So uh, just a few eights on, on that is the, um, is, uh, first of all, for the women is to give your, if, if you, some women are a little bit kamsan, kamsanot, kamsanus. You know, the truth in Yiddish, you'd probably just say kamsanim anyway. So uh, women are kamsanim a, a little bit on that. Uh, but you should know how healthy it is for the men. That the men, they do need it. Um, but I'll, I'll go into what the issue is because some of the women are looking at me with like smoke coming out of their ears. And the men need it. We need it. The men need it. So, but I'll explain in a second. But for us men, it's to give our wives time. Especially women who have little kids around. They're desperate for some adult interaction just to, to be able to stop speaking baby talk for a few hours and to have their husbands to talk with and to speak about things, speak things out with. Um, number one is for sure at the end of the day, a woman has to review her day with her husband. And so, and we have to put our phone down for that experience. Okay, as men, we've got to put our phone down to get the review. Okay, let your wife review. 
review her day. It's absolutely fine. Just let her review it. That's it. Another big thing is while she reviews it, don't fix anything. You know, like uh, one time my wife told me she was on her way back from Hadassah and Karim visiting a friend. And she said it took her three buses and an hour and a half to get home. Now, the old me would have said, you never heard of bus 20? <laughs> you would have been here in 20 minutes on bus 20. What would she have said? You don't even listen to me. You don't even listen to the idea. I just came back after an hour and a half of commute, and that's your answer. So what did I do? I kept it to myself. I said to her, wow, an hour and a half, you know. Maybe you need a foot massage or something. You know? and, the, uh, and now, a week later, she was going to visit the friend again. On her way to the bus, I said, by the way, I got great news for you. Bus 20, you'll be back here in 20 minutes. She's like, oh, you just saved me half my morning. Thank you so much. So that was a timing thing, and it's the main thing is don't fix. Women are interesting. They're self-fix-it. They have self-fix-it. You know, they're like, uh, there's tires that actually fix themselves when they get a puncture. Okay? Women are self-fixing. They just need to talk. But the second you try to give all your fix you know, we put on our fix-it hat, you know, get our fix-it hat on, and we're going to try to fix our wife. In that moment, they just turn cold. You're not listening. You're just not listening. What do you mean I'm not listening? I just gave you the exact advice. I just gave you the answer. Never fix a woman. They, they, they're self-fixing, but they do need to speak it out. Got to speak it out, fix themselves. Now, what was the issue I was bringing up before is that men have to transition into, they go from boy, which is really just a little girl, into a man. And, but the thing is, is a man has to always hold that up. And there's times that a man, he just needs out, just needs the, some out time. But here's the thing. If there's two types of outs, I would like to distinguish. There's out called escape, and there's out called rejuvenate. There's out called escape and rejuvenate. When it's escape, a woman gets resentful because she knows we're escaping, and she kind of feels like she's part of what you're escaping. When it's rejuvenate, she'll support you. She'll actually help you do it. If there's a time where, let's say, I have to go somewhere, and she knows it's an escape, so I'll say to my wife, you know, where are my shirts? I'm, you know, she knows I'm going for two days. And I, have, have you seen? <laughs> I just need some white shirts, please. And, and she's like, I don't know. Check the laundry. <laughs> I go to laundry. I go in the dirty basket. I pull out two white shirts. You know, they're like, they're like suspended in place. You know, and I'm like, these are the white shirts. She's like, there's the washing machine. You know. That's when we're in escape mode. It's a very subtle thing, but when we're escaping, they get resent women get resentful of this. Whereas when we're in rejuvenate, they're they're right there at our service. And it's just a little shift. When you make that shift, then you open up your closet, you find your shirts perfectly stacked. It's almost like she took a ruler and set it up next to your shirts. Because our women, our wives are here to support us. They'll support us all the way. Unless, of course, we're in escape mode. Now, there's one more thing I want to share with you about, a, about how to shift from a escape to rejuvenate escape. Yeah, it just disappeared. Sometimes things just pop right out. We're going to do kids for a minute. We, we, have, uh, we have some time. 
to do kids, I am going to share with you right now the most important yesod in parenting that you will have ever heard. And it will change your life forever and how you parent. And it doesn't matter how old your kids are. Even if your kids could be you know, 20s, 30s, 40s. This is going to change your parenting forever and have a fabulous and powerful impact on your children. That's one. And two is that the people you know who are having Yisurim right now with their children, which is like very big right now, a lot of people are having Yisurim with their kids, that you will be able to share this with them and it will make a huge impact. What I'd like to do right now is to distinguish for you the difference between acceptance and approval. Acceptance and approval. I would like to define them first, but what I'd like you to first see is why am I distinguishing acceptance and approval? Because you've had acceptance and approval blurred. They've been blurred for you. In other words, you just... You know, if you approve of someone, you accept them. If you disapprove, you don't accept them. They're blurred. Approval means that they hit your standards. People have standards. And by the way, who do you think in the world population today, um, you know how many people are in the world today? There's 7 billion people on the planet. Apparently, it's even more than that. I think it's getting close to 8 billion people on the planet. That's a lot of people. A billion's a thousand million. So there's 7,000 million people. Okay, on a pie chart, how, how, big, how big a slice do you think are the Jews? The answer is there's no slice at all. I mean, you, you could just draw a thin line with like a, you know, a number, th- number two pencil or something, and maybe, maybe that's the whole Jewish population. But I'm going to ask you a question. Who has the highest standards of approval on our entire planet out of the 7 billion people? Who has the highest standards of approval? Who do you think? And the answer is, we do. And not only do the Jews have the highest standard, but Froom Jews have the higher standard than the rest of the Jews. And meaning uh, today only, I don't know, maybe we're 10, 15% of Jewry, world Jewry. So Jews have the highest standard. Of those Jews, about 15% of them are the ones who actually keep Shabbos. And they're even much higher standard than the rest of the Jews. And then you got the Hasidish Jews who have the highest standard on the entire planet. Do you realize that? I mean, maybe we should call Guinness Book. They'll come over here and interview us, and uh, we could have, like, the highest standard of approval in Guinness Book World Records. You know, the, the, the Jews somehow have this. We have extremely high standards of approval. Now, there was another word I mentioned. What was that other word? Acceptance. Now, if you have approval and acceptance blurred, and you're holding very high standards of approval, that means that you only accept, if they're blurred, you only accept people who are keeping that standard. Which means that no one really, besides obviously the people you're closest to, but no one really fits any of those standards of feeling accepted by you. Now, I'd like to define acceptance. Approval, obviously, is standards of behavior. Acceptance actually has nothing to do with the behavior. Acceptance has to do with mahus, with the essence of an actual person, the being of a person, as we'll be talking tomorrow, right after lunch, 12.30, on doing and being. But acceptance is, I'm going to define it now, 
Ready? Acceptance means that if you were that person, you'd be doing the same thing. I'll say it again. Acceptance means if you were that person, you'd be doing the same thing. So let's say you saw someone driving irresponsibly, and you're like, wow, who is that crazy idiot? <laughs> the answer is, that, by the way, if you live that person's entire life, you know what that crazy idiot is? <laughs> it's you, <laughs> if you live their life. If I come out of my house in my shtreimel, you know, Shabbos day, and I find some chiloni guy smoking a cigarette outside my house, if I lived his life, what would I be doing right now? I'd be the guy who's smoking a cigarette on Shabbos. What's the proof? Because he's living his life, and all of the, his life decision, life experience, and every single circumstance, every choice he made has led up to this very moment which has found him Shabbos afternoon with a cigarette in his hand. Proof is, there he is doing it. Now, if I lived his life, that'd be me. If he lived my life, he would be now walking out in a streimel and saying, you know, good Shabbos to everybody. I'm defining it again. Acceptance is, if you lived that person's life, you'd be doing the same thing. Well, I have something very powerful to teach you about acceptance, and that is that Acceptance is the most important thing in your life. Your need to be accepted by people is so important to you. And you want to know something? It leads to feeling loved. I mean, if someone accepts you for who you are, you love that person. And now I'm going to make a duke. This is going to be a little harsh. I'm sorry to say this. But if someone doesn't accept you, you hate that person. But you never admit that it was because they don't accept you. You know what you do? You come up with every reason why that person's a jerk. You become like the world's expert at what a jerk that person is. And what is the proof of everything I'm saying right now is you'll notice that sometimes you'll find out that person actually does hold of you. You know, you thought that person would never hold of you, so you just hate that person. And then you become the world's expert why that person's such a jerk. And then later, you find out that person actually really holds of you. This happened to me in, uh, in Asia Torah. When I was in Asia Torah, there was a genius there. This guy was like, his name was Jim. He got 1,600 on his SATs, which means perfect score. He was a Harvard mathematician, straight A student. A genius. And the guy, he couldn't say shalom to me, couldn't say hi, couldn't say good Shabbos. Every time I walked in the room, he'd put his head down. I could not stand this guy. I hated this guy. Literally hated him. And over five years of knowing him, I became the world's expert on what a jerk Jim is. We never interacted. In the end, many years later, five, the fifth year, I get called in by the Hanhala of Eshatara. I said, yes, how can I help you? They said, well, we'd like, to, we'd like to promote you to a higher position here. We feel like you need to do X, Y, and Z for Asian Tara. I said, well, thank you very much. Whose idea was that? They said, Jim's. I'm like, Jim's? I was like, yeah, is there a problem? I said, no, no problem. Thank you very much. And then I ran out of the offices. I ran straight to the base measures. I went right up across from Jim. I said, Jim, we got to talk. He said, what is it? I said, Jim, you hate me. Why would you say that I should take this position? He says, Yom Tov, I don't hate you. 
I said, what do you mean you don't hate me? You don't say hi, you don't say shalom, you don't say good Shabbos, you don't say nothing. I walk in a room, you look down, I walk by you, you don't even interact with me. He says, Yom Tov, when you came to Eshatera, you made more friends in six minutes than I made in six months. I'm a nerd. I'm an intellectual. It's hard for me to make friends. And everywhere you go, the whole world is your best friend. So I just, I felt even much more like a nerd every time you walked in the room. So for me to feel safe, I just looked down. I said, Jim, you're a genius. I love you. I give him a big hug. And I took my list of 100 reasons why Jim's a jerk. And I ripped it to shreds. And then over the years, till this day, I still write a long list of the praises of Jim, who now goes by his Hebrew name and he's married with kids. But Jim's the greatest. What you realize, ladies, what you realize is that the people you don't like has nothing to do with them. It has to do with you. Because at some point, I promise you, anyone you don't like, I promise you at one point, you had a sense that they don't hold of you. Could be something they said. Could have been a look they gave you. Could have been just that family or maybe that Hasidus. Maybe it's 45th Street. It could be that it was. Um, it could be that it was a. Um, it could be that it's just someone who dresses that way. I mean, you're just walking down the street in like your neighborhood on Shabbos. Someone who dresses like that wouldn't really hold of me. And so you know what? Fit. It's it's all self-defense. It's just self-defense. Acceptance is what makes us feel loved. And I promise you, you start from this moment accepting every person you ever meet. You don't have to approve. See, people blur them. Oh, you want to hear another blur? Remember before I said is we have high standard approval, which means we have a high standard of acceptance, which means we don't really accept anyone. By the way, good luck being a light into the nations. You know, the Torah says we're a light into the nations. How are you going to be a light to people you don't accept? You can't be a light to anyone if you don't accept them. And they're certainly not going to receive the light. When someone doesn't accept you, you are not receptive. I'll tell you a story in the, in, um, in, uh, years ago when I first became uh, observant. Did I say that? Years ago when I was becoming a rabbi, I was getting smicha. And what happened was all the Aish branches throughout the world were like figuring out which smicha graduates to take as a rav. So the top branch in, in America was a branch that I'm not going to say their name because I'm being filmed by Torah anytime. This branch was negotiating big time with me to get me to be, uh, you know, to be a leader in their, in their campus programs and all this stuff. I was a young whippersnapper. It was 1990s. And, um, and what happened was we basically succeeded. The Pins Carlina Rebbe was going with it. You know, everything they asked me, I'd go to the Pins Rebbe. I'd come back. Okay, they'd come back to me. I'd go back to the Pinsker Rebbe. So then the, the last night, I'm speaking to the guy on the phone. He says, okay, we're going to FedEx you the contract. I said, okay. He says, oh, and one more thing. Uh, you, you are going to cut your pay us off for, the, uh, for this job, right? <laughs> I was like, I'm talking about throwing a bomb in the last moment, you know. You're going to cut your pay us off for this, aren't you? And I said, uh, I was like, are you kidding me? You want me to cut my pay us? And he said, he said, uh, I mean, you don't expect to do outreach dressed like you. And 
And I'm like, listen, uh, I, you know, I asked my Rebbe everything else. I'll go ask my Rebbe about this. So I went to the Pinskalena Rebbe. And I said to him, they want me to cut my pears off. And the Rebbe said to me, I'll just tell you in English, the Rebbe said to me, you're supposed to be carving them, not them carving you. Absolutely not. And the deal was off. Now this guy comes to me 20 years later. And he says to me, I can't believe we almost had Yom Tov Glazer at our branch. And I thought a Yid with payas couldn't carve anybody. Because the secret, ladies and gentlemen, to the secret to being Mekare of your kinder, to being Mekare of your fellow workmates, to being Mekare of your siblings, to being Mekare of any person on this planet, a Frayid, to be Mekare of a human being. The secret is you be the most accepting person in the world, and you don't have to let go of your standards and of approval. See, he was saying, get rid of the standards. Get rid of the payers. Take off all those standards so we can Mekare of somebody here. Because he thought that acceptance means that you have to drop your levels in your own madregas, in your own Yiddishkeit. You know, you want to get someone out of the mud, you got to jump in the mud. He thought you had to take down your standards. No. See, all you have to do is distinguish acceptance and approval. You keep your standards very high. In fact, I say the higher the standards, the better. Because if it's bringing your avoidance Hashem to a higher level, which means your Olam Haba is getting better and better, you keep high standards, but you be the most accepting person that anyone has ever met. Now, I'll let you know something. Our children have a contract with us. It's really our contracts with God. But the standard, the, the contract with us is that our kids will be accepted no matter what. But when you get acceptance and approval blurred, and your kid does something you didn't approve of, there's something your kids are doing that you don't approve of, and you don't clearly, clearly communicate that you don't approve of it, but who they are you accept 100%. If you can't distinguish acceptance and approval, you're going to lose them. And I want to share with you, I get a lot of parents calling me about their kids at risk. And I tell the parents, okay, I'm happy to help. Can we meet? And the parents are like, sure, you can meet. Let me give you his number or let me set you up with him. I said, no, no, can we meet? And the parents are like, what, us? You want to meet us? Said, yeah, I'd like to meet you. They're like, why do you need to meet us? It's our kid. I want you to know that, that I would say almost half the kids that I was able to get back on the derch, I never even met them. I only coach their parents. I coach their parents in a teshuva process. They had to do teshuva because they breached the contract with God. Because for a person to be healthy, they have to have one address on this planet where they are loved no matter what, where they are accepted, loved no matter what. What address is that? It's supposed to be your address. But what happens is we're so concerned what people think, remember the fear of rejection? We're so concerned of like our self-image and our, you know, the image of our family that we sacrificed our own children. And you should know, I'm going to tell you something very powerful. I hope I'm not sorry I'm doing this in the first hour of the program. But I'm going to tell you something very powerful. Better off is the kid who went out than the kid who stayed. Because the kid who went out he at least went out and got help. He got support. He found some acceptance over at 7-Eleven Muncie or something. The one who, want, who saw, all it takes is one kid off the derrick. The other kids are like, whoa, that was bad. I'm not going there. You know, all, you, all you have to do is see one sibling go off the derrick to know you're not going off the derrick. But the problem is the good kid 
The good kid is the one who's hurting. I've had a lot of people over the years cry their eyes out with me. I run programs for people to cry their eyes out. And my programs are sponsored by Kleenex Tissue. I've had a lot of people crying on my shoulder. I mean, this, these shoulders have soaked in a lot of tears. Between the boy who left versus the boy who stayed, the good, the good boy who stayed, or the good girl who stayed, they cried the bitterest tears. Acceptance, love, standards. There are standards. And I happen to have very high standards, but every kid in my family knows that I'm with them to the end. And I'll end with a story, and that is that whenever I, usually I have to put all the kids in bed together, but once in a while I have one kid awake, and every time I have one kid awake, I hold that kid. And I tell that kid, Yisrael Noyach, I love you so much. And the kid, and obviously you guys know, I mean, if you're at the Keratoni Shabbaton, you know the words I love you are not bad language, okay? <laughs> That's good language. And you better learn to say it. I'll never forget this girl. Came up to me in Eretz Yisrael. She was in a t-shirt and jeans. But she had this thick Monroe accent. Monroe. Yeah. She had the D in the word Monroe. Okay? <laughs> you know, if anyone's pronouncing Monroe with a D. There's no D in Monroe. Yeah. So, anyway. So... Um, just as a little preview, but I'll be discussing, uh, I forget when it is, I think it's maybe late tomorrow night, I'm doing the five languages of love. And her language of love was words. Now, if your language of love is words, meaning I love you, if your language of love is words and you're born in Mandro, you're in trouble. Yeah, you're in trouble. Because in Mandro, the way you show love is by doing for somebody. You do for them. The whole European world after the war, the way you show love is doing for them. It's not saying I love you. I remember once I had a group of men. I had 30 men in the room, and I said, when's the last time any of you said I love you? The, 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 um, oh, I didn't mention this. But after the Shoah, the whole concept of I is very difficult in general. I mean, I once asked a Yid, I asked an, an elder Yid, elder Yid I, it was all Dayanim, like a heavy, heavy Rebbeim. So I asked all this group of Rebbeim, I was trying to work with them. And I said, I was trying to get them to the eye, and I was not getting to any eyes. So, so I get to this, I, I finally said, okay, maybe something traumatic happened to one of them when they were young, and then I could get to his eye. I said, uh, anyone here raise your hand if you went through something difficult as a kid? So one of these Eden raised his hand. I said, okay, Rebid, what, what happened? He says, his father passed away when he was 11 years old. I said, ah, oh, okay, now we're on to something. So I go over to him, I'm like, so tell me, what did you say? What did you say? I was just trying to get to his eye. You know? What did you say? He says, he looks at me like a little kid in the who doesn't know the question. He looks at me, he says, I said, Kaddish. <laughs> and I was like, looking over at my assistant, I'm like, oh my gosh. <laughs> like, Kill me now, you know. And I go back to him, and I'm like, what did you say? What did you say inside? What did you say inside? Who are you? Who are you? And you know what he did? He picked up a triangular tuna sandwich in a little box. And he shows me the sandwich. And he says, this is who I am. And I look it over my Hamish assistant. I said to him, he's a sandwich? And my assistant comes over and whispers in my ear. He whispers in my ear. He says, he's the Radha Maksha on the sandwich. His name is on the sandwich. 
I'm just closing right now, just closing right now, is that I asked a group of 30 men, I said, when's the last time any of you said I love you to your wife? So one of them said, they, diff they said different years, but one of them, the one who was most recent, he said it was 10 years ago. And everyone in the group was like, Shh. <laughs> and you know the famous joke, another one said, I told her I loved her at the wedding. I said, if anything changes, I'll let you know. <laughs> so, so, the, so what happened was the... Um, the uh, so the guy says, and you know what I said, Rabbi? I said, what I just said, I know what you said. You said I love you. He said, no. I said, you are loved. He couldn't get the eye to say, you are loved. That's a joke in my home now. Like at our Shabbos, one of the kids will say, hey, Tati, you are loved. So listen, what I want to say is, I hold little Yisrael Noyach and I say, Yisrael Noyach, I love you so much. He says, I know, Tati. This is well, I love you so much. I know, Tati. He said, Yisrael, I love you if you're a bit tzaddik. When you get older, he says, "I know, Tati." He says, "But you so not if chas v'sholem you do averes, chas v'sholem you should be a tzaddik. But if chas v'sholem you make mistakes, I want you to know that I love you, and I'll never ever stop loving you." And then I put him to bed, and that kid goes to bed knowing he's loved no matter what. Shabbos. You've just experienced another Torah class brought to you by TorahAnytime.com.